4. F. Russia may probably hesitate in expressing an opinion as to which country carries off the palm for unmitigated filth, but, with this exception, travelers in the eastern archipelago, in Central Asia, in Africa among the wildest tribes, are pretty well unanimous that compared with all these for dirt, disease, discomfort, and utter lack of decency and annoyance, the Chinese in holds its own, and in no part of China more than in Sichuan and Yunnan is greater discomfort experienced. The usual wooden bedstead stands in the corner of the room with the straw bedding this, by the way, should on no account be removed if one wishes to sleep in peace. Sometimes there is a table, sometimes a couple of chairs. If these are steady it is lucky. If unbroken it is the exception, there are never more. Over the bedstead more often than not. By the way, it is composed of four planks of varying lengths and thickness. Placed across two trestles I used first to place my oilskin, then my papaya and that little creeper which rhymes with hug did not disturb me much. Rats ran round and over me in profusion, and, of course, the best room being invariably nearest to the pigsties, there were the usual stenches. The floor was mother earth, which in wet weather became mud, and quite a common thing it was for my joys to be enhanced during a heavy shower of rain by my having to sleep. Almost suffocated, Macintosh over my head, Owing to a slight break in the continuity of the roof my umbrella being unavailable, as one of my men dropped it over a precipice two days out. For many reasons a camp bed is to Europeans an indispensable part of even the most modest traveling equipment. I was many times sorry that I had none with me. The inns of Sichuan, however, are by many degrees better than those of Yunnan, which are sometimes indescribable. Earthen floors are saturated with damp filth and smelling decay. There are rarely the paper windows, but nearly a sort of opening of woodwork, through which the offensive smells of decaying garbage and human filth waft in almost to choke one, tables collapse under the weight of one's dinner, walls are always in decay and hang inwards threateningly, wicked insects, which crawl and jump and bite, creep over the side of one's rice bowl and much else, who can describe it, it makes one ill to think of it, throughout my journeyings it was necessary for my toileting, in fact, everything, to be performed in absolute and alloy publicity, three days out my boy fixed up a cold bath for me, and barricaded a room which had a certain amount of privacy about it, owing to its secluded position, but even grown men and women, anxious to see what it was like when it had no clothes on, came forward, poked their fingers through the paper in the windows of course, glass is hardly known in the interior, and greedily peeped in, this and the profound curiosity the people evince in one's every action and movement I found most trying. It was my misfortune each day at this stage to come into a town or a village where market was in progress. Catching a sight of the foreign visage, people opened their eyes widely, turned from me, faced me again with a little less of fear, and then came to me, not in dozens, but in hundreds, with open arms. They shouted and made signs, and walking excitedly by my side. They examined at will the texture of my clothes, and touched my boots with sticks to see whether the feet were encased or not. For the time I was their hero. When I walked into an inn business brightened immediately, tea was at a premium, and only the richer class could afford nine cash instead of three to drink tea with the bewildered foreigner. The most inquisitive came behind me, rubbing their unshaven pates against the side of my head in enterprising endeavor to see through the sides of my spectacles. They would speak to me yelling in their coarsest tones thinking my hearing was defective, I would motion them to go away, always politely, 
cleverly suppressing my sense of indignation at their conduct, and they would do so, only to make room for a wordless crowd. The town's business stopped, people left their stalls and shops to glare aimlessly at or to ask inane and unintelligible questions about the barbarian who seemed to have dropped suddenly from the heavens. When I addressed a few words to them in strongest Anglo-Saxon, telling them in the name of all they held sacred to go away and leave me in peace, something like a cheer would go up, and my boy would swear them all down in his choicest. When I slowly rose to move the crowd looked disappointed, but allowed me to go forward on my journey in peace. Thus the days passed, and things were never dull. Footnotes, footnote E. This refers to the main roads there are many places in isolated and in surveyed districts where it is extremely difficult and often impossible to get along at all EJD footnote F, this rate of 400 cash per day per man was maintained right up to Tom, Xuanfu, although after Tong the usual rate paid is a little higher, and the bad cash in that district made it difficult for my men to arrange 400 big cash current in Sichuan in the Yuan man equivalent, after Tom Xuanfu, right on to Burma. The rate of coolie pay varies considerably. 3 cn to fen 30 to tail cents was the highest I paid until I got to Tenchu, where rupee money came into circulation, and where expensive living was considerably higher. EJD Chapter VI. Sec 1 People a mercenary lot. Adaptability to trading. None but nature lovers should come to western China. The life of the nomad. The opening of China. And some impressions. China's position in the eyes of her own people industrialism, railways, and the attitude of the populace, introduction of foreign machinery, different opinions formed in different provinces, climate, and what it is responsible for, recent governor of Sequan's tribute to Christianity, New China and the new student, revolutionary element in Yuan Man, need of a new life, and how China is to get it, Lu Chao, and a little about it, Fu Song from the military, necessity of the sedan chair, cost of lodging, an impudent woman, choice pigeon English, some of the annoyances of travel, Canadian and China inland missionaries, exchange of yarns, exasperating Chinese life, and its effects on Europeans, men refuse to walk to Suifu, experiences in arranging upriver trip, a meaning etiquette of Chinese officials toward foreigners, rude awakening in the morning, a trying early morning ordeal, reckonings do not tally, an eventful day, at the China inland mission, Impressions of Suifu, fictitious partnerships, the people of Sichuan, compared with other Yangtze provinces, must be called a mercenary, if a go-ahead, one, balancing myself on a three-inch form in a tea shop at a small town midway between Li Shichang and Lu Chao, I am endeavoring to take in the scene around me, the people are so numerous in this province that they must struggle in order to live. Vain is it for the most energetic among them to escape from the shadow of necessity and hunger, all are similarly beggared. So they settle down to devote all their energies to trade, and trade they do, in very earnest. Everything is labeled, from the earth to the inhabitants, these primitives, these blissfully hidden people, have become the most consummate of sharpers. I walk up to buy something of the value of only a few cash, and on all sides are nets and traps, like spider webs and the fly that these gentry would catch, as they see me stalk around inspecting their wares, is myself. They seem to lie in wait for one, and for an article for which a coolie would pay a few cash as many dollars are demanded of the foreigner. My boy stands by, however, magnificently proud of his lucrative and important post, yelling precautions to the curious populace to stand away. 
he hints, he does not declare outright, but by unjuntlinuendo allows them to understand that, whatever their private characters may be, to him they are all liars and rogues and thieves, it is also funny, that one's fatigue is minimized to the last degree by the humor one gets and the novel changes one meets everywhere, onward again, my men singing, perhaps quarreling, always swearing, their language is low and coarse and vulgar, but happily ignorant am I the country, too, is fascinating in the extreme, a man must not come to China for pleasure unless he love his mistress nature when she is most rudely clad, some of her lovers are fascinated most in by places, in the cool of forests, on the summit of lofty mountains, high up from the mundane, in the cleft of cannons, everywhere that the careless lover is not admitted to her contemplation, it is for such that China holds out an inviting hand, but she offers little else to the westerner the student of nature and of man can alone be happy in the interior, forgetting time and the life of my own world, I sometimes come to inviolate stillnesses, where nature opens her arms and bewitchingly promises embraces in soft, and ending, undulating vastnesses, where even the watching of a bird building its nest or brooding over its young, or some little groundling at its gracious play, seems to hold one charm beyond description, it islands some may say, a nomadic life, yes, it is a nomadic life, but how beautiful to those of us, and there are many, who love less the man-made comforts of our own small life than the entrancing wonders of the God-made world in spots where nothing has changed, gladly did I quit the dust and din of western life, the artificialities of dress, and the unnumbered feudal affectations of our own maybe not misnamed civilization, to go and breathe freely and peacefully in those far-off nooks of the silent mountain tops where solitude was broken only by the lulling or the roaring of the winds of heaven, thank God there are these uninvited corners, the realm of silence island after all, vaster than the realm of noise, and the fact brought a consolation, as one watched nature affecting a sort of coquetry in masking her operations, and as I look upon it all I wonder wonder whether with the opening of China this must all change, the Chinese I refer to the Chinese of interior provinces such as Sequan are realizing that they hold an obscure position, I have heard educated Chinese remark that they look upon themselves as lost, like shipwrecked sailors, whom the night of tempest has cast on some lonely rock, and now they are having recourse to cries, volleys, all the signals imaginable, to let it be known that they are still there, they have been on this lonely isolated rock as far as history can trace, now they are launching out towards progress, towards the making of things, towards the buying and selling of things launching out in trade and in commerce, in politics, in literature, in science, in all that has spelt advance in the West. The modern spirit is spreading speedily into the domains of life everywhere in places swiftly, in places slowly, but spreading inevitably, as I said prudentia, nothing will tend, in this particular part of the country, to turn it upside down and inside out more than the cult of industrialism, in a number of centers in eastern China, such as Hanyang and Shanghai, foreign mills, iron works, and so on, furnish new employments but in the interior the machine of the West to the uneducated celestial seems to be the foe of his own tools, and when railways and steam craft appear steam has appeared, of course, on the upper Yangtze, although it has not yet taken much of the junk trade, and such one has heard of railways now under construction the sod was cut at Ichang in 1909 g and a single train and steamer does the work of hundreds of thousands of carters, coolies, and boatmen, 
it is wholly natural that their imperfect and short-sighted views should lead them to rise against a seeming new peril, whilst in the end the empire will profit greatly by the inventions of the Occident. The period of transition in Sichuan, especially if machines are introduced too rapidly and unwisely, is one that will disturb the peace. It will be interesting to watch the attitude of the people towards the railway, for Sichuan is essentially the province of the farmer. Sichuan was one of the provinces where concessions were demanded, and railways had been planned by European syndicates, and where the gentry and students held mass meetings, feverishly declaring that none shall build Chinese lines but the people themselves. I have no space in a work of this nature to go fully into the question of industrialism, railways, and other matters immediately vital to the interests of China. But if the peace of China is to be maintained, It is incumbent upon every foreigner to go slowly. Machines of foreign make have before now been scrapped. Railways have been pulled up and thrown into the sea. Telegraph lines have been torn down and sold. And on every hand among this wonderful people there has always been apparent a distinct hatred to things and ideas foreign. But industrially particularly the benefits of the West are being recognized in eastern China. And gradually, if foreigners who have to do the pioneering are tactful, Trust in the foreign manufactured machine will spread to Western China, and enlarged industrialism will bring all-round advantages to Western trade. Thus far there has been little shifting of the population from hamlets and villages to centers of new industries even in the more forward areas quoted but when this process begins new elements will enter into the Chinese industrial problem. As we hear of the new China, so is there a new people. A people emboldened by the examples of officials in certain areas to show a friendliness towards progress and innovation. They were not friendly a decade ago. It may, perhaps, be said that this new people were born after the Boxer Troubles, and in Sichuan they have a large influence. Cotton mills, silk filatures, flour and rice mills employing western machinery, modern mining plants and other evidences of how China is coming out of her shell cause one to rejoice in improved conditions. The animosity occasioned by these inventions that are being so gradually and so surely introduced into every nook and cranny of East and North China is very marked, but on close inspection, and after one has made a study of the subject, one is inclined to feel that it is more or less theoretical, so it is to be hoped it will be in Sichuan and far western China. Readers may wonder at the differences of opinions expressed in the course of these pages a hundred pages on one may get a totally different impression, but the absolute differences of conditions existing are quite as remarkable. From Chongqing to Suifu one breathed an air of progress after one had made allowance for the antagonistic circumstances under which China lives a manifest desire on every hand for things foreign, and a most lively and intelligent interest in what the foreigner could bring. In many parts of Yunnan, again, conditions were completely reversed, and one finding himself in Yunnan, after having lived for some time at a port in the east of the empire, would assuredly find himself surrounded by everything antagonistic to that to which he has become accustomed, and the people would seem of a different race. This may be due to the differences of climate. Climate, indeed, is ultimately the first and the last word in the east, it is the arbiter, the builder, the disintegrator of everything. A leading writer on Eastern Affairs says that the climate is the explanation of all this history of Asia, and the peoples of the East can only be understood and accounted for by the measuring of the heat of the sun's rays. In China, with climate and weather charts in your hands, you may travel from the Red River on the Yunnan frontier to the Great Slingery in lusty Manchuria, and be able to understand and account for everything. 
however that may be, traveling in China, through a wonderful province like Sichuan, whose chief entrepot is 1500 miles from the coast, convinces one that she has come to the parting of the ways, you can, in any city or village in Sichuan or in Yunnan, for that matter, in a lesser degree always find the new nationalism in the form of the new China student, despite the opposition he gets from the old school, and although the old order of things, by being so strong as almost to overwhelm him, allows him to make less progress than he would, this new student, the hope of the empire, is there, I do not wish to enter into a controversy on this subject, but I should like to quote the following from a speech delivered by Tsuchin Suan, when he was leaving his post as governor of Sichuan, the officials of China are gradually acquiring a knowledge of the great principles of the religions of Europe and America, and the churches are also laboring night and day to readjust their methods, and to make known their aims in their propagation of religion. Consequently, Chinese and foreigners are coming more and more into cordial relations. This fills me with joy and hopefulness. My hope is that the teachers of both countries Great Britain and America will spread the gospel more wisely than ever, that hatred may be banished, and disputes dispelled, and that the influence of the gospel may create boundless happiness for my people of China, and I shall not be the only one to thank you for coming to the front in this good work. May the gospel prosper. There are various grades of people in China, among which the scholar has always come first, because mind is superior to wealth and it is the intellect that distinguishes man above the lower order of beings, and enables him to provide food and raiment and shelter for himself and for others. At the time when Europe was thrilled and cut to the quick with news of the massacres of her compatriots in the Boxer revolts, the scholar was a dull, stupid fellow day in day out, week in week out, month in month out, and year after year he ground at his classics. His classics were the Alpha and Omega, he worshipped them. This era has now passed away. At the present moment there are upwards of 20,000 Chinese students in Tokyo H whither they went because Japan is the most convenient country wherein to acquire Western knowledge. The new learning. The new learning they must have the new learning. No high office is ever again likely to be given but to him who has more of Western knowledge than Chinese knowledge. And mere striplings. Nursed in the lap of the mission schools. And they're given a good grounding in Western education. These are the men far more likely to pass the new examinations. In Yuan Man, where little chance exists for the scholars to advance, the new learning has brought with it a revolutionary element, which would soon become dangerous were it by any means common. I have seen an English-speaking fellow, anxious to get on and under the impression that the laws of his country were responsible for keeping him back. Write in the back of his exercise book a phrase against the imperial ruler that would have cost him his head had it come to the notice of the high authorities. One will learn much if he travels across the empire facts and figures quite irreconcilable will arise. But even the man of dullest perception will be convinced that much of the reforming spirit in the people is only skin deep, going no farther than the externals of life. It is at present, perhaps, merely a mad fermentation in the western provinces where from the fiercer it is the clearer the product will one day evolve itself. Such transitions are full of bewilderment to the European bewildering to any writer who endeavors to tackle the empire as a whole. Each province or couple of provinces should be dealt with separately. So diverse are the conditions. But if China, from the highest to the lowest, will only embrace truth and love her for her own sake, so that she will not abate one jot of allegiance to her, if China will let truth run down through the arteries of everyday commercial, social, 
and political life as do the waterways through her marvelous country, if China will kill her retardative conservatism, and in its place erect honesty and conscience, if China will let her moral life be quickened than her transition period, from end to end of the empire, will soon end, mineral, agricultural, industrial wealth for hers to a degree which is not true of any other land, her people have an enduring and expansive power that has stood the test of more than 4,000 years of honorable history, and their activity and efficiency outside China make them more to be dreaded, as competitors, than any race or any dozen races of today. But new China must have this new life, commerce, science, diplomacy, culture, civilization she will have in ever-increasing measure just in so much as she draws nearer to Western peoples. But the new life can come from whence? From within or from without? Lu Chao, into which I was led just before noon on the fourth day out of Chongqing, is the most populous and richest city on the upper Yangtze, exceedingly clean for a Chinese city possessing well-kept streets lined with well-stocked emporiums, bearing every evidence of commercial prosperity. It however lacks one thing. It has no hotel runners. I arrived at midday, crossing the river in a leaky ferry boat. Under a blazing Sunday my intention being to stop in the town at a tea house to take a refresher, and then complete a long day's march, farther than the ordinary stage. But owing to some misunderstanding between the Fusong, sent to shadow the foreigner on part of his journey, and my boy, I was led through the busy city out into the open country before I had had a drink, and when I remonstrated they led me back again to the best inn, where I was told I should have to spend the night there being nothing else, then, to be said, may I give a word of advice here to any reader contemplating a visit to China under similar conditions, it is the custom of the mandarins to send what is called a fusong escort for you, the escort comes from the military, although their peculiar appearance may lead you to doubt it, I have two of these soldier people with me today, and two bigger ragamuffins it has not been my lot to cast eyes on, they are the only two men in the crowd I am afraid of, they are of absolutely no use, more than to eat and to drink, and always come up smiling at the end of their stage for their kunsha, during the whole of this day I have not seen one of them they have been behind the caravan all the time, it would be hard to believe that they had sense enough to find the way, and as for escorting me, they have not accompanied me a single lee of the way, by another nuisance, of which I have already spoken, is the necessity of taking a chair to maintain respectability, these things make travel in China not so cheap as one would be led to imagine, traveling of itself is cheap enough, as cheap as in any country in the world, for accommodation for myself, for a room, rice and as much hot water as I want, the charge is a couple of hundred cash certainly not expensive, in addition, there is generally a little, chatsian, tea money for the cook, but it is the, face, which makes away with money, much more than it takes to keep you in the luxury that the country can offer which is not much, after I had had a bit of a discussion with my boy as to the room they wanted to house me in a woman, brandishing a huge cabbage stump above her head, and looking menacingly at me, yelled that the room was good enough, what does she say, tongue, oh, she gone all same fool, she want ye makey talky talk, she have got belly long tongue, makey bad woman, she say one PC Japan man makey stay here tre night, see, she say what makey good one PC Japan man makey good one PC English man, see, no have got top side, all same bottom side have got, master, this no gone my pigeon this gone woman pigeon, and woman gone all same fool, 
Fang ended up with an amusing allusion to the lady's mother, and looked cross because I rebuked him, gathering, then, that the lady thought her room good enough for me, I saw no other course open, and as the crowd was gathering, I got inside, before setting out to call upon the Canadian missionary stationed at the place, I held a long conversation with a hump-backed old man, an unsightly mass of disease, who seemed to be a traditional link of Luchao. I might say that this scholastic old wag spoke nothing but Chinese, and I as the reader knows, spoke no Chinese, so that the amount of general knowledge derived one from the other was therefore limited, but he would not go, despite the frequent deprecations of Tung and my coolies, and my vehement rhetoric and explanation that his presence was distasteful to me, and at the end of the episode I found it imperative for my own safety, and perhaps his, to clear out. The Canadians I found in their Chinese-built premises, comfortable albeit, five of them were a resident at the time, and they were quite pleased with the work they had done during the last year or so most of them were new to China. At the China Inland Mission later I found two young Scotsmen getting some exercise by throwing a cricket ball at a stone wall, in a compound about 20 feet square. They were glad to see me. One of them kindly gave me a haircut, and at their invitation I stayed the night with them. What is it in the nature of the Chinese which makes them appear to be so totally oblivious to the best they see in their own country? It is surely not because they are not as sensitive as other races to the magic of beauty in either nature or art, but I found traveling and living with such apparently unsympathetic creatures exasperating to a degree, and I did not wonder that the European whose lot had been cast in the interior, sometimes, on emerging into a Western civilization, appears eccentric to his own countrymen. But this in passing, I duly arrived at Lan Kaishian, and was told that Suifu, 120 li away, would be reached the next day. Although I had my doubts, a deputation from the local, Guan, waited upon me to learn my wishes and to receive my commands. I was assured that no European ever walked to Suifu from Lan Kaishian, and that if I attempted to do such a thing I should have to go alone, and that I should never reach there. I remonstrated. But my boy was firm. He took me to him and fathered me. He almost cried over me. To think that I that I his master, of all people in the world, should doubt his allegiance to me. I no afraid, he declared. Paps master no say they. Sui fu big place. Have got plenty European. You want ye make ye go fast. Catchy plenty good chow. I think you catchy one PC boat. Make ye go up the river. Perhaps I think you have got belly tired no want ye make ye more walkie that no gone plopper, that gone all same fool pigeon, and at last I melted, there was nothing else to do, that no one ever walked to Suifu from this place the district potentate assured me in a private ship, which I could not read, when he laid his gunboat at my disposal, this, he said, would take me up very quickly, in his second note wherein he apologized that indisposition kept him from calling personally upon me this, of course, was a light he said he would feel it an honor if I would be pleased to accept the use of his contemptible boat, but Tong whispered that the law uses these terms in China, and that nobody would be more disappointed than the Chinese magistrate if I did take advantage of his unmeaning offer, so I took a womb pen, and the following night, when pulling into the shadows of the Suifu Pagoda, cold and hungry, I cursed my luck that I had not broken down the useless etiquette which these Chinese officials extend towards foreigners, and taken the fellow's gunboat, the Wumpan. They swore to me, 
would be ready to leave at 3.30 a.m. the day following. My boy did not venture to sleep at all. He stayed up outside my bedroom door I say bedroom. But actually it was an apartment which in Europe I would not put a horse into. And the door was nearly a wide. Worder meat and board placed on end. In the middle of the night I heard a noise yay. A rattle. The said board fell down. Inwards. Almost upon me. A light was flashed swiftly into my eyes. And desultory remarks which suddenly escaped me were rudely interrupted by shrill screams. My boy was singing. Master. He cried. Pulling hard-heartedly at my left big toe to wake me. Come on. Come on. You want to make you get up. Have got to o'clock. Get up. Haps me no wakey you. No makey sleep no gone plopper. One man makey go got home side have catchy boat. This morning no have got tea no can catch hot water makey boil. And soon we were ready to start. Punctually to the appointed hour we were at the bottom of the steep. Dark incline leading down to the river bank. But my reckonings were bad. The Laoban and the other two youthful members of the half-witted crew had not yet taken their chow. And this added to many little discrepancies in their reckoning and in mine, kept me in a boiling rage until half past six, when at last they pushed off, and nearly capsized the boat at the outset, the details of that early morning, and the happenings throughout the long, sad day, I think I can never forget from the breaking of tow lines to frequent stranding on the rocks and sticking on sandbanks, the orders wrongly given, the narrow escape of fire on board, the bland thick-headedness of the ass of a captain, the collisions, and all the most profound examples of savage ignorance displayed when one has foolish Chinese to deal with. We reached halfway at 4.30 p.m. with 60 li to do against a wind. Hour after hour they toiled, making little headway with their misdirected labor, wasting their energies in doing the right things at the wrong time, and wrong things always, and long after sundown Sui Fu's pagoda loomed in the distance. At 11 o'clock p.m. stiff and hungry, and mad with rage. I was groping my way on all fours up the slippery steps through unspeakable slime and filth at the key head, only to be led to a disgusting and as dirty as anything I had yet encountered. It was hard lines, for I could get no food. An invitation, however, was given me by the ref, R. McIntyre, who with his charming wife conducts the China Inland Mission in this city, to come and stay with them. The next morning, after a sleepless night of twisting and turning on a bug-infested bed, I was glad to take advantage of the missionary's kindness. I could not have been given a kindlier welcome. Suifu has a population of roughly 150.000, and the overcrowding question is not the least important. It is situated to advantage on the right bank of the Yangtze, and does an immense trade in medicines, opium, silk, furs, silverwork, and white wax, which are the chief exports. Gunboats regularly come to Suifu.